We've been in a study uh, of Nehemiah, and uh, I'm excited to get into it. It's just been kind of just uh, working over my, my soul and my spirit. And so, um, man, Nehemiah is a, the more I read and I study into it, I just hear so many things. Let me just, let me just encourage you. If you've never really got into scripture, um, and I would just say this is a man's man's book. So, man, if you just wonder, like, what does a man's man book look like in the Bible? Look at Nehemiah. Now, women, don't let me offend you really fast because there would be no Nehemiah without Esther. We'll talk about that today. Um, but this is a, a book that has just, has just been resonating in my spirit. Uh, we're going to talk about a few things today. But let me just catch you up. Hey, Pastor Mike, last week, I appreciate his ministry so much. Um, I, I, I was, the whole time he was preaching, I was like, Lord, thank you for Pastor Mike, but I, I need, we need to get back to Nehemiah. Let's go. Let's get back to it. Um, but really, he, he blessed us tremendously. If you got your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah chapter 2. We covered chapter 1 a couple weeks ago. I'm going to kind of catch you up on some history and um, uh, real fast, not, nothing um, uh, too much, just so we can kind of get back up to speed. Remember that we talked about how the kingdom of Israel split into two different kingdoms, so the southern and the northern kingdom, and, uh, and then they, they did that because they, were, they became godless and they were worshiping idols, and so the Lord uh, began to split them and they began to go into captivity, and God judged them and sent them to Babylon, uh, and then here we have 70 years in Babylon, God begins to free them, and then finally we find ourselves 142 years later, and Nehemiah is ready to rebuild the wall, so 142 years prior to Nehemiah, we have people going back to rebuild the temple, but there, there are no walls. And we remember how important walls are in our life. Walls are, in Scripture, those things that speak of God, those things that speak of his glory and his promises and his faithfulness to us. And so we talked about five ways to rebuild the walls in your life. What are the walls? And we said we need to agree the status quo. We said we need to persevere in prayer, that we need to start repenting. And we need to ask God to move in Jesus' name, amen? And that we ought to put our hope in Jesus and not ourselves because it is so very easy to put, these hand, to put faith in these hands, although these hands are not faithful. Um, and so today, as we look at chapter 2, I just want you to kind of see there's an outline here that we're seeing, that I have seen, uh, and we see in chapter 1 that Nehemiah is kind of dealing with the, the petition of the prayer Today, we're going to deal with the problem, the position, and the plan, and then maybe we can get into the people. Possibly, we'll see. Um, but again, as we get into all of this, what I want to ask you is simply this. What are you needing God to rebuild in your life? What are the walls in your life that you need God to put back those things? Is it health? You know, is it finances? Is it marriage? Is it your children? Um, is it your relationship with God? Is it your faith? In God, sometimes those things just begin to fall and, 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 and the Lord uh, uh, revives some things. Sometimes it's our passion that falls. Sometimes it's our servitude, our lack of service in the kingdom. There's different things that we find ourselves saying, Lord, I remember what it used to be better. Or maybe it's something totally new for you today. Maybe it's something brand new that the Lord is saying, I got some work to you to do. I want to build some things in your life that speak of me, but they bring you um, protection and provision, and most importantly, uh, favor from God. So let's pray, and then we'll start in chapter 2. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for your word today. God, I pray 
you know there are no words that Scott Brandon can speak to change lives. I rest on the Spirit today to do that. I pray, Lord, that you would address every um, issue of our heart and our life, God. Br- bring to the forefront the things, God, that you know you've been talking to us about. And work on those things today. Lord, let your power be known today, God, about what you're going to do. And rebuild back those things, Father, that we hunger to see your blessing and your name. And most importantly, that you would build back those things so that those who don't know you and call you God would see the glory in our life. And they would be drawn to the Father because of your hand and your work and your faithfulness. We ask you, Lord, today, don't just use us. Lord, for ourselves, but we pray, God, use us to be instruments, God, that bring people to the cross, that they might know this name that we call our own. In Jesus' name, amen. Read with me, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. In the month of Nisan, that is important right there. In the previous chapter, it was in the month of Kislev, so we're talking about maybe three to four months in terms of time between the two. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. That's very important. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. And then I was very much afraid. And I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad? When the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? And so I prayed to the God of heaven. I find that kind of neat here that it's almost like a blank check being issued. What are you requesting from me? I wish my president would say, what are you requesting from me? I, I would tell him a lot of things. First thing I start off and say, Lord, there's a, there's, there's a, a gas price, you know, uh, or um, president, there's some, there's some gas price issues that you and I need to chat about real fast. But it's going to be a real quick conversation. <laughs> Uh, but I got some bigger blank check issues. But notice this, he says, that then the king said to me, what are you requesting? And so I what? I pray to the God of heaven. I find it funny here that he's before the king on earth who's saying, what would you have me do? And he speaks to the king of kings and says, what would you want me to do? That's how we should be, right? At some point in time, we need to understand we can walk before man's authority. They might say some things and ask some things, but we know that all of our real requests and prayers come from God alone. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about indicators and initiatives. Can I tell you back in this verse right here? Notice in verse um, uh, one, it says, now I had not been sad in his presence. I had not been sad in his presence, yet the king said to me, why is your face sad? Notice that he has some feelings. Y'all ever have some feelings that prompt you to do something, say something at some point in time, but you hold back onto it? I, a lot of times I have a, I'm an emotional guy, so when I feel the feeling of something coming on, I want to convey that feeling. It's difficult to suppress that feeling. But Nehemiah's feelings were very legitimate. He had some real emotional feelings, some real physical feelings, some spiritual legitimacy in all those feelings. And yet, what is, he, what is he doing here? He's saying, wait a minute, these feelings are not telling me what to do. They're telling me to hold on and process my situation. Let me think about what I need to do. I don't just need to go to the king because in those days, if you were sad before the king, they'd cut your neck off. And so it wasn't just, oh, I was sad, and I'm talking to my best friend. No, you, this is reverence in this moment. And so he says, I had not been sad. I had not 
leaned on my ability to lean on the king to get him to do something. I was waiting for God's time and God's moment. And that's very difficult for us because a lot of times when we feel things in our heart and our life, we feel the need to move. We feel the need to do things right then. If, if I can just be honest, um, we're in this temporary housing situation and it's not the, it's, it's, it's just boxes are everywhere and it's just not what we're used to. And, uh, I was trying to replace a light the other day and I couldn't get the light to fix. I was like, Lord, Lord, I need, I need a house. Like I need to get out of this place. And so, uh, so I can get, and, and really it's, it's, it's a nice place. I was just frustrated at the moment because, uh, well, the light bulb was 48 inches long and somehow the housing was 48 and a half, you know? And so I'm just like, you know, and it's like a glass tube, and I want to break in my eyes and cut me, and then I'll be bleeding, and I can't preach tomorrow. You know, all that stuff. So uh, I just said, Lord, if I could just get a box that was 49 inches, it might be okay today. But right now, I'm kind of frustrated. My feelings are going on the, on the outside, and sometimes we're moved to actions that we should not be moved to because our feelings are in front of us. Can I get an amen on that? We can't always say our feelings are legitimate, but Nehemiah's truly was. And he didn't let his feelings show. Why? Because to let his feelings show in this situation would be to force the issue. He's not trying to force the issue. His feelings have been causing him to do something, but that's been praying for three to four months. Can I just ask you, the last time you felt something that you felt like you should do something, did you stop and pray for three to four months? That's a difficult thing to do to feel something and then pray about it for three to four months. I didn't even, I don't know something I've ever prayed that long when I felt that, that, that initial reaction. I've always wanted to act on it. But Nehemiah shows us here through the word what we are to do. What do we learn here in this moment? We can have legitimacy in our feelings, but our feelings don't initiate the actions of life. So what we need to do is this. Your feelings are not initiators but rather indicators in your life. Let me just say it again. Your feelings are not initiators, but rather indicators in your life. And your ability to process those feelings that you have and how they should uh, cause you to act is really based on the amount of wisdom you possess. You're, you know, like the older you get, the more mature you have, the slower you are to respond. I think that's the way. I'm going to give you guys credit, my senior crowd, that you guys are slow to respond because you have that wisdom, that maturity, right? That refinedness. When us younger people, we just, we just act right away, right? All, all parents of teenagers said, amen. They do that right away. Amen. But notice how Nehemiah does not act that way. He, he, allows his, he allows his feelings to be indicators as to what should I do, Lord? What am I supposed to do right now? You know, Julie has this uh, car, and, and, and the side mirror, maybe you guys have the same little issue too. When you turn the blinker on, if someone is right next to me, I get this little indicator in the mirror that says, no, 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 don't do that right now because there's something in my blind spot. I can't see that in my blind spot. So it lets me know, don't get over. And, and as I saw that little indicator one day, I realized that it's just an indicator. It's not telling me to initiate anything. It's telling me to stop and pay attention to my situation. Are y'all following me this morning? And so, so, so I look at the indicator and I say, uh, oh, I'm supposed to stop and assess my situation. It's not an initiator. It doesn't say change lanes because if I did, I'd crash. 
And I think all too often we look at feelings like they're initiators and not indicators. That if you, in your feelings you feel like you're supposed to move right now, when we change lanes, we, we crash. And so Nehemiah is showing us here that when it comes to our problems in life, that we are to wait when we feel that feeling of us to prompt to move. Wait a minute. Look at it. Is it an indicator? Is it telling you to move or to pay attention? And I would say it's saying to slow down and pay attention. We all have feelings that prompt us to move. Think about Jesus. Jesus was in the garden, right? And he says, Lord, if this cup could be passed from me, what is he saying? I don't want to go to the cross, Lord. I don't feel like going to the cross. Why? He didn't want to give up his relationship with God. He had never been separated from God. He didn't want to take on the sins of the world. He didn't want to endure the wrath of God. Yes, Lord, I don't want to, I don't feel like going to the cross. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And Nehemiah was saying the same thing, is that I felt like going to the king. I felt like saying something to you. Y'all ever felt that way before? Oh, I feel like I got to say something. I got to say something. I know something about something. I got to say something about it. And Nehemiah says, it's not time for me to say anything. Everything I need to say needs to be to the king of kings and not just to the king. Because there's a moment and a time where the Lord is readying the king on this earth to hear the words in the heart that he put in you to voice your feelings, but not until the king of kings instructs that timing. Timing is everything. And so the Lord gave Nehemiah a problem to, to pray for, and then he put him in a position to do something about it, but that took some patience. And so if you'll pray in patience, the Lord will put you in a position. So let's talk about his position. Nehemiah chapter two, verse five through eight. He says this, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone? And when will you return? And so it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's force, that he may give me timber and to make beams for the gates and the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of God, uh, of my God was upon me. I said this before in a previous sermon. I want to say it again, that before there ever was a problem, there was a, this is a test. Y'all remember? There was a, a plan. Somebody got the A plus today. Before there ever was a problem, there was a plan. I want you to go back to verse 6 and look at this. Because sometimes, you know, when you're studying scripture, uh, scripture will just throw some stuff in there real fast. Like it's not a real important thing, but it means everything to where you're going. He says, and the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, the queen sitting beside him. I thought, okay, that's in parentheses. So it's not real important, but Lord, what's that really mean? Why did you put that? So we believe that all scripture is breathed by God, right? All of it, every word, every single word, nothing is in here haphazardly or coincidentally. The Lord, when, when he, he had this author write this, he said, write this in parentheses, the queen, not really the princess didn't exist back then, the queen sitting beside him. So what does that mean? At first I get to digging around and I thought, oh, is this Queen Esther? Is Queen Esther the Jew on the throne 
with the king and he's asking the king. And I did some research and I got excited and I even told, I think, some of the guys on staff and I lied to them because it wasn't Queen Esther. So, I, so Caleb, I'm not, I don't know if I told you or not, but that's not the truth. I lied to you. Uh, it wasn't Queen Esther, but who is it and why does it matter? Let's look at this. Esther chapter 2, verse 16 through 17. Esther is made the queen. It says, and when Esther was taken to King uh, Xerxes, so this word actually translated in Latin is Xerxes, whose son is Artaxerxes, who is the king of Nehemiah in our story, into his royal palace in the 10th month, which is the month of Tibet, in the seventh year of his reign. The king loved Esther more than all the women, and she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Now, I don't know if you, how much you know of the story of Queen Esther, but it kind of goes like this. So the Jews were in captivity, and they came and were set free, and were now at the Persian Empire, and this particular king is looking for a bride because his other queen did some wrong things, and he ripped the crown off her head and said, bring me a new one, because I guess that's what you do when you're a king. And so, don't, guys, don't get any ideas. We, I thought some of y'all went, no, don't do it. So, so here he is looking for a brand new queen, but the problem is, is that as she becomes queen, there's another guy named, by the name of Haman, and Haman wants to destroy all the Jews because of her uh, uncle Mordecai, Esther's Uncle Mordecai, because, of, because he didn't bow down to him. So he, he is starting to campaign this idea of complete genocide. All Jews everywhere are going to die. Mordecai learns of the plot. He tells Esther, hey, you're in the palace. No one else has the king's ear like you. Only the king can stop this as Haman, the evil Haman, was second in command. So no one had the right to undo what he said except the king. And so Mordecai says, perhaps, Esther, you were called to the kingdom. He didn't say called to your marriage, but you were called to the kingdom for such a time as this. That this is the reason why God puts you in place is to, is to petition before the king and ask that we be saved. And so her reply to her uncle is simply this. Now, don't you know that if I go into the king before the 30 days is up, so they had a 30-day ritual that, that once they were married, they couldn't go before the king in terms of an official matter. And so she says, if I go before the king within these 30 days, I'll surely die. I'll perish. And so uh, Mordecai says this. He says, you know what? You cannot say or you can say. It's up to you. But if you don't say anything, God will raise up another Savior. Why? Because his word says he will never leave us nor forsake us. He has a covenant with us. And if you don't speak up on our behalf, he'll find someone else, but you and your house will perish. And so she's dealing with this test of obedience, right? It's, it, it's really a matter of not just jeopardizing her life, uh, but many others as well. And so she finally makes the decision to go before the king. And she asks him, and he grants her favor, um, incredible favor. And so this is Esther. She's now on the queen with Xerxes, which is 
uh, Artaxerxes' dad, and she reigns for a long time. It's not just important that she's a Jew on the queen, uh, a Jew on the on the royal um, court, but she is also maintaining a character. She has to live a life of character, and the reason why is because God didn't call Esther just to preserve the Jews. God was using Esther to, for, to if you fast forward to Nehemiah's day, was to forward the kingdom and rebuild back those things that were pulled down. So when we see Nehemiah approaching the throne, talking to the king, and there's this queen sitting beside him, you have to know that that's her stepson's wife. Don't you know she's mentoring, influencing her? Here's how you become queen. Well, who are you? Well, I am the queen. I am the queen, but I'm a Jew. And here's, here's my people. And here's who we are. And so all of that influence is on the throne at that time when Nehemiah is asking God, what I want you to understand is that long before there ever was a problem, there was always a plan. But you have to, well, I'm just borrowing lines today, wait for it if you have to. Wait for it. And we get so eager because we feel like we have to do something. We feel like we have to do something. And what makes it even more difficult is that when we're trying to rebuild those things in our life and accomplish God's plan, we feel the need to do it more increasingly because it's the right thing to do. It's hard to wait to do the right thing at a right time. We always feel like the right thing is right now, but it's not right now. It's not right now. How many decisions in your life did you make and they were the right thing at the wrong time and it costed you for it? We have to wait. Jesus didn't come down any old time on earth. There wasn't, he, why didn't he come down as soon as Adam fell and renew all of creation? There was a right time and a right thing. Jesus didn't come down at any old time he wanted to. And there's issues and times in your life that you have to wait that when the king of glory shows up, that's when you act, but not before and not after. And so here we have a problem way before the plan that, that God is, he's crafting this whole situation. He's laying it all out. And as we see this, how he puts his plan together, we have to understand how do we address the plans that God is putting together? How is he going to mold our situation into something that we can actually attack? Can I tell you that whatever the, whatever the walls that are down in your life, m- m- name it, name it. What is your plan for it? Are, are you, how are you going to pay that bill, restore that marriage, reach that lost child, restore your health? How are you going to go about doing that? What's your plan for that? And I would tell you before you start, understand this, is that physical problems have spiritual solutions. Physical problems have spiritual, it's so easy for us to look at the bill that's unpaid and begin to try to craft how we can come up with the funds because that's what we do. We see our health and we go to go to the doctor and ask this guy and this person and that person. And we see that's, that's what we normally do because it's easy to trust these hands, right? And so we, we can lay the things out in front of us. I don't know how many of you guys are control freaks. You got to have all of your stuff in a row. You're a bit OCD and everything is perfect and great. And when it comes to trusting God, it's a bit difficult because God won't sit up in the top right-hand corner of your life like you want him to. And it's difficult to understand how to deal with physical problems. But I want you to know that physical problems need spiritual solutions. And this is where Nehemiah is. And the walls were torn down. The easy fix is to do what? To not pray, to put a plan together, and to go deal with the walls. But that is not what Nehemiah did. 
Notice in uh, verse 13 of Nehemiah chapter 2, it says, I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. And then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. And then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall. And I turned back into the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. Listen, the gates were burned. That was a physical thing. But the solution was entirely spiritual. Let me show you how important this principle is. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1. Then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brothers the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its door. So here's what we know right away. is the first thing we build in terms of the wall. The wall was broke up in sections. So we had the wall, you have a gate. Wall and a gate. Wall and a gate. It came all the way around. Uh, for, it was... I guess you could say more of a, a rectangle. Uh, that was the, its origin. And so you have a, a gate and then wall, a gate and a wall. And the first thing that they build, the very first thing they build is the sheep gate. The sheep gate. Now, I don't know about you, but the sheep gate is not the first thing I'm going to build because if I'm thinking militarily, I'm not going to be building a sheep gate. I'm going to build the armory first. That's probably my suggestion. And if it's not the armory, maybe a big tall tower that I could see into where the enemy's coming. So as I'm building and my people are building, I can be ready for when the attack comes, right? And they had a gate just for the tower, and they had a gate just for the armory, but they built the sheep gate instead. Y'all know what the sheep gate is? It's, the, it's where the sheep come through the gate. <laughs> yeah, I know y- some of y'all are just like, I'm writing notes right now, okay? They come through the gate. That's awesome. It's not just sheep, though. All the animals for sacrifice came through that gate. And so what we understand here is the very first gate that is completed and finished, it's done. And then it's consecrated. It means it's anointed and set apart unto God. Lord, of all the things we could have done, we did the things that that you cared about the most. We dealt with the sheep gate because this is where the sacrifices come in. And as we do other things, we're going to sacrifice first. You can depend on a lot of other things, a lot of other gates, and a lot of other needs. But when you put your dependence upon God alone, that's when he says, I got the rest of it for you. You don't need a military gate. You don't need a tower. I can see everything. I am your champion. I am your strong tower. I am your refuge. If you'll take care of my gate, I'll take care of all of your other gates. But I come first, and don't give me half hard to do. Finish my stuff. Build my gate. Everything else came up in levels, but not the sheep gate. The sheep gate was done. And when we give things to God, it needs to be full. It needs to be the best. It needs to be the finest. That's why when God asks us for our tithe, it's the first fruits. It's not something I can give you. I'm not scheduling you in. It's saying, Lord, if something goes crazy and my life can't pay all the other bills, I'm going to make sure you get yours first. Why? Because anything you have to give was his in the first place. We're just stewarding. 
And so this principle is here first. The priests are setting up their tithe, I guess you could say, in terms of building this gate. So then as we plan and, and the need to understand uh, the physical problems need spiritual solutions, we need to understand that our approach is to always start with God first, to always, always start with our dependence first. Could I go a little further and suggest that physical problems have spiritual origins? Physical problems have spiritual origins. Sickness, poverty, death, famine, are not all these due to the fall of man? Every bit of it, all of our problems, we can always look back and see that really all of our issues come back to Adam and Eve, right? And, and, and our sin perpetuates those things. So if you look at your physical problems, even your health, you may be living righteous, but you know that, that your health issues came from a spiritual issue. It may not be your issue, but it came from a spiritual issue. And so as we look at physical problems, we need to understand that these all have spiritual origins. And Nehemiah's problem was really a spiritual in nature. It was truly spiritual nature. Think about it. Nehemiah did not have a physical problem. Nehemiah was in the capital of Susa, in the tall castle tower in the winter months. The great, this is where they had all the real good food, the comfort food in, in this inn. And so he was there in this place in a lap of luxury. He had no idea what it was like to be out there in the hardship of not having protection because he was in the walls of Persia. He was totally removed from the problems that, that um, the Jews, the remnant was facing. But Nehemiah didn't have a physical problem. He had a spiritual problem. And in this issue, Nehemiah says, you know what? I got to deal with some stuff. I, I, I'm, I'm, having a, I'm having a problem. And his problem was his heart. Can I tell you that what his heart needed uh, was a different story than what his hands could do. So what he did was this. He let his hands do what his heart needed. I really want you to hear me when I say this. He let his hands do what his heart needed. We can also learn this, that let your hands do what your heart needs. What do you mean by this? As Nehemiah sees the walls that are broken down and his response is to not judge the people. It's easy to look at people in sad situations and say, well, they're homeless because, well, they're sick because, well, they're, they're poor because, well, they're broken because. We can all day, it's real easy for us to say that when we're in our castle at Susa, removed from those situations. But when we're really down in the midst of things where the least of these hang out, we have to remember ourselves that even though we don't have physical problems, we got spiritual problems. And our spiritual problems should motivate us to fix physical problems. Notice that in Nehemiah, he begins the rebuilding process in other people's lives, and he finds wholeness in his own. That he addresses his issue here here in other people's lives. It's important for us to understand that what they were experiencing physically, he was experiencing spiritually. I wonder if there's a principle in there for you and I, that what we don't experience in terms of a physical issue of life, that we, we experience in terms of spiritual. And I wonder if it's true for us as well, that, that we could help others in their physical issue, and because we do so, we might find a wholeness, a mending, a rebuilt wall in our own life, spiritually. Because it's easy to see, when we look at other people, we forget that our marriages aren't perfect. 
We, we forget that our children aren't perfect, that our careers aren't perfect, and that our joy and our peace is gone. Our health's not perfect. We forget those things real quick when, we're, we're, um, we, when we look at other people, we see how bad they are. But we need God to do something in our life. And so as we look at this issue, I just want you to, I want you just to think about this, that what if a step in rebuilding begins with a step in helping others rebuild first? Because that's what Nehemiah did. Now, is, is that really a new concept for us? No, not at all. Not at all. Jesus showed us that example. But let me just ask you, just a few statements. I'm just wondering, what if investing in the kingdom with your finances would, would turn uh, uh, others to allow them to deposit into your life? We make, we make physical deposits into the kingdom, and somebody else makes spiritual deposits into our life. What if coming along someone else and, and to help them with a, a physical issue constituted them giving you a helping hand in, in your life spiritually or in your family or your career or, or in your marriage? What if the sacrifice that you in time for others actually frees up your personal time? That would be wonderful, wouldn't it? If we could do that. What if lending your gifts and your skills and your talents actually benefited you more than you realize? Where is the principle in that, Pastor Scott? Glad that you asked. <laughs> Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 11, probably one of my favorite all-time scriptures. It says this, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And here it is. I love it. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. When we struggle in a world that wants equality, can I tell you equality is not really biblical at all? It's not. The only equality issue that you and I have is that we stand under the same blood in the same name before one throne. That's the only equality issue that we have. Matter of fact, when I stand before God, I'm not even equal to him. I'm just in his likeness. You and I are in his likeness. But don't you know that every other expression of life, we will never be equal, right? Because if God wanted us to be equal, he made us all the same, to do all the same things. But thank God he put a variety in here. And he doesn't care about equality because equality says, I'm just going to make sure you're doing as good as I am. No, that's not what we're going to deal with. He says, in humility, count others more equal to yourselves. No, he didn't say that. More significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That changes everything, don't it? When you're driving and you see someone who's the least of these, you say to yourself, uh, I don't know how to make it equal to them. It's not about being equal. It's about counting them more important than yourselves. When you hear that issue and you hear they're in that repeated sin and they're stuck in that addiction they can't break out of, and you think, man, I don't know how you could ever get to a place where you don't struggle with addiction like me. No, 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 no. We've got to stop for a second and say, maybe if I put my hands into something, I might find a spiritual blessing and a wholeness of my own that's altogether different, but it'll never happen so long as you're looking to yourself to fix yourself. But if you can look to others and help try to fix others, maybe God will see your humble heart, that you counted others more significant than yourselves, that you love the least of these. And he said, if whatever you do to the least of these, you've done unto 
me. And that is a father that, listen, you bless my kids, I'll come knocking on your door. I'll come loving you. Pastor Scott, I need this. I'll be right there. Why? Because you love the thing I love the most. And if you will love the things that God loves the most, you will have the father knocking on your door. You will have a king of kings knocking on your door saying, what are you requesting? When you're going through a hard time and a battle and a struggle and the enemy is after you and your kids, he'll step out and say, here I am. That's, I'm his champion. I'm his champion. He ain't got to fight. I'm going to fight those battles. Why? Because he loves the things that I love. You hear what I'm saying this morning? We got to change our heart that when we, uh, when we attack a situation, when we're dealing with something, that the plan is that we put others first. We make others your priority. It's not only about you. Nehemiah says, it's not about me. I could have stayed in my castle at Susan, been fine. But I looked at other people and said, I got to count them more significant than me. Why? Because helping them actually benefits me. Why should we be this way? Because this is the mind of Christ. That when you partake in this type of thinking, this is the mind of Christ. Because Christ, who was in a kingdom far away, left his glory, left his reputation, and made himself of no reputation, and left the presence with the Father in eternity, and came down here in our lowly least of these castles, amongst our rubble, amongst our broken down walls, and said, I'm going to count in humility, Count myself, count you more important than myself. How do we know that? Because he lifted himself up on the cross. When you and I know we're supposed to be there, he humbled himself. He didn't look to his own interest, but he also looked to our interest as well. So this morning, what I want you to know is, what do you need here? Maybe you can find somebody else that needs these. Because it's all too easy to use these to fix these. But I challenge you to look out and find someone else and say, hey, brother, hey, sister, I got these. Would these help? Can I help your least with these right here? What can I do for you? Think in this way. This is how we rebuild walls. This is how we rebuild marriages, cities, churches. We rebuild them together together. Let your hands do what your heart needs. Y'all start with me this morning? Be mindful of the opposition. Know your enemy. Know your enemy. Can I tell you, this week's been somewhat of a tough week for me. Uh, I lost my dad Friday, um, and uh, someone come trying to steal my stuff the same day. I said, Lord Jesus, I just, I'm going to go home and drink a coffee and read a book. Leave me alone. I don't want to deal with life no more. But you know what? You got to know the opposition. You got to know your enemy. He, he, he's always prowling, always waiting, always crouching at your door, always speaking those lies, always in your ear. Is it just me? Is, am I the only one? Because he's always in my ear. And I'm going to tell you what, I've been so blessed to be a pastor of this church that all the oppression and all the spiritual attacks have just amped up for me. It's been great. I've loved every bit of it. I said, oh, the, the Lord has blessed me so good that he's brought more enemy attacks against me. But that's okay. Because whatever you do in my flesh, I'm coming for you in my spirit. I, 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 I just told myself, 
I'm done with that stuff. You can, uh, you can wrestle all day with these, but I know for sure I don't wrestle in the flesh, right? No, 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 no. In fact, let me just remind you so you know what it says. For we do not wrestle against the flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Amen. Have you ever watched those swamp shows on TV? I know y'all got, I went all spiritual right then on you. And, and I can't remember because I've watched too many of them in the past. But this one particular guy, he said, when you wrestle a gator, this is deep truth right here, deep. When you wrestle a gator, don't wrestle him in the water because in the water, it's like he's on land. But if you can get him on land, it's like he's in the water. You don't fight the enemy where he's most comfortable. And can I tell you, he don't have any right over this because this is all his dead, right? It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This flesh is dead and gone. You can't go to the grave and command the man to stand up and to heal and pay his bill because you have no authority over that flesh. And so the enemy can't come to me and try to wrestle me in my flesh. I'm a dead man. But talk to me in my spirit. Talk to me at this altar. Talk to me in my knees. Talk to me in the word. Talk to me because that's where I'll meet you all day long. And come for my kids one more time and see what happens. You hear me? I'm tired of being a sheep. I'm tired of being chased down and cut up. There's something inside of me that says I'm a lion. And not that one, the Wizard of Oz, either. <laughs> Don't mess with me and my stuff. Don't mess with me and my family. Don't mess with me and my church. And I dare you to mess with me and my God. Amen. I'm about done. I'm about done. Last thing is this. We got to remove the reproach. He gets down there to rebuild the wall. And he's looking at everything, and he's trying to rebuild it all up. And, and uh, as he does, he sees that before he can build anything, there's rubble all around. Caleb, uh, Cody, would you guys come? And he's got rubble all around. The wall's torn down. Can I tell you how difficult it is to, to speak of God who is able and faithful your home's a wreck, when your life's a wreck, when everything about you is just a wreck, you have no testimony. And sometimes those issues in our life are not because of what we've done, but still yet, it's difficult to minister when there's reproach around us, when there's things that speak that God's not really working in our life. And so here he's saying that after almost 150 years and the walls are still torn down, what, what I took from it is, is simply this. I don't see how I don't see how we can really proclaim to the to the world that God is who he is when all we do is talk about it. Talk I used to love to play basketball. And when I first played I just worked on my game, but as I got older I worked on my words. Because talking the game was a lot more fun, right? But that only worked if you were up against a weaker uh, opponent. Because if the opponent was strong, then you couldn't really talk him out of his game. He's going to work his game on you. And, and what I'm telling you is that, is that 
when you're not in shape and you get lazy, it's easier just to talk the game and hope that the opponent is weak. But our opponent is not weak. And, and for far too long, the church has been okay with just talking a good game. And that's, Scripture says that's when we, we, uh, uh, we see the power of God at work, right? Um, but we really deny it in our own lives. We, we worship, we praise, we, we give his just due. But, but when we walk out of these walls, it don't really go with us. It's easy to walk in here and be and do a certain thing and to talk that good game in this sanctuary. I know I did it my whole life. But when I walk out of these walls, I can't just talk anymore. Because the longer I talk, the more reproach stands. How long do you think they looked at that wall and said, one of these days that wall is going to be, that wall used to speak of God. One of these days this wall is going to be great again. And for 150 years, they just talked about it, talked about it, and talked about it. I don't want to just look out in the audience and say, Lord, one of these days, I'm going to see godly men leading godly families. I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to look at youth and say one of these days they're going to be so passionate and, and, and so evangelical that, that they're going to bring people and that their lives are going to be changed at school. I don't want to just talk about that. I don't want to just see kids uh, um, coming now and then and on Easter. I want to see whole families have salvation. I don't want to talk about that stuff. I don't want to just hear about what could happen or what needs to happen at your jobs. I want to talk about it. Unless we're giving God praise for what he did about it. I guess what I'm saying is, I don't want to talk no more. I want a church to be about something. In fact, if I could be specific, I want specifically for this church that this city would know a couple of things. One, that when that city is in need, we're first on call. Call us first. Let us be the first responders in Harrison, Arkansas. I pray that up over our life. I also pray that when they have a need and they know that someone can pray for them, that they know where to go. I pray that for our church. I also pray that if they're looking for someone to show them how to actually live life and work through situations, that they would come to Harrison Faith because they know this is what we do every day. And don't just read and learn and pray about it, but our constant, continual walk is not just for ourselves, but we're bringing people with us. That's what I want. And I don't want to talk about it at all. I want to do it. I want to be those things. Because all those things speak to the glory of God. Before we can get there, let me just say this. Before we can do any of those things, if you have yet to begin any kind of walk with Jesus at all. We're going to bow our heads and, and pray in just a second. But I just want you to look at me eye to eye and know my heart. Is that I don't want you just to accept Jesus today. I don't want you just to surrender all your problems today to Christ. I do want those things, but I want so much more for you. I want you to begin a walk with me. That every day we learn. Every day we try to pray our best. Every day we walk in the grace and the mercy of God. And that when we come to an altar and we surrender our lives to Christ, that it is the beginning and not the ending of your sin. It is the beginning of a salvation with God. It's the beginning of the walk. And I, I want to tell you is that these people around you, I'm pretty sure, are going to help you do that walk. 
But if for some reason you can't connect with anybody, make sure you talk to me. And so with every head bowed, every eye closed, can I do something kind of bold this morning? First off, first off, if you know you're not right with my champion, if you're not right with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, if you know you're not right, if that's you, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray with you this morning. I see your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Second is this. If you know you've not been rebuilding the wall correctly, you've been trying to make things happen in your own life by your own hand, using your own feelings to go by, but you know today that you just need to stop and pray and be wait waiting and patient in the Lord for him to do what only he wants to do and you need to wait and learn patience will you raise your hand with me today show me thank you and lastly if you no longer want to talk the game but in your home in your job and you're grabbing carrots at Walmart you want to walk the walk and no longer just talk the game if that's you, would you raise your hand? Amen. Will you stand with me today? Team's going to come back and worship. Here's how I'd like for it to be. I don't always feel like coming down on these altars. Not always. Not always. But it is a discipline I always try to instill in my life. Some days I don't feel like brushing my teeth, but I do that. It's a discipline. It's important. And so this morning, if you raised your hand for anything, can I ask you to make the discipline of prayer at the altars today? To come meet God where he's at. Because I promise he'll meet you there. As Cody and the team sings, would you move?